You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. But today we're getting back into the book of Ephesians, so turn your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians only has six chapters. Today we kick off chapter number five, which means we are almost through uh, the book of Ephesians. If you ever want to know what we're going to talk about next Sunday, you can always read ahead. Uh, It's because next week we're going to take a look at uh, verses. uh, Today we're taking a look at verses one and two. Uh, Next week we're going to kick off in verse number three as well. And so uh, just two verses today. You say, what does that have to do with the length of the message? Absolutely nothing, okay? Uh, So it's not because there's only two two verses. It's going to be a shorter message. Uh, That doesn't always uh, translate very well. Uh, But I know today uh, what we talk about will be a great help to you. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse number 1 and go through verse number 2 this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. I met my wife in uh, Pensacola, Florida. We were co-workers at the time. I was uh, in the Navy uh, at the time, uh, active duty, but I had a lot of extra time on my hands, so I got a part-time job at the mall, and I was seasonal hire help at The Gap in Cordova Mall uh, in Pensacola, Florida, and she was, uh, she was one of the store managers there, so she was my boss. Uh, truth be told, my wife is still my boss in many ways, uh, but uh, she was definitely my boss then. Uh, and so uh, first time I, she and I ever actually had a conversation, you know, sometimes you, you see uh, movies or you hear people talk about the first time that they met, and how they locked eyes and they knew they'd be together forever and uh, things along those lines. And uh, so I had actually uh, volunteered to come in early on a Saturday morning and clean the, clean the store. And so we went through and did an extra deep cleaning of the, the fitting rooms and stuff like that and got all the gum up, up from underneath the, the benches and wiped everything down and did an extra good job of vacuuming those fitting rooms and stuff. And so they, they told us to show up and work clothes that day. So I showed up and work clothes that day. Uh, and so just grabbed something out of the door. I had a shift afterwards, but I had I'd ironed my clothes for my shift, but I just grabbed some clothes out of the, uh, the dresser and threw them on typical bachelor thing that I did showed up to work uh, and I knock on the back door because the store wasn't open yet and opens the door and there stands Angela and she looks at me up and down and she says can I help you I said well I'm here for work I'm here to, to help clean and she looks at me and she says do you own an iron and I said I do and she was I'd suggest you use it and she turned around and walked off. And I thought, wow, man, somebody's a little bit uptight. So needless to say, it wasn't like love at first sight or, uh, you know, these ooey-gooey romantic feelings or anything like that. No music played, no birds sang or that day or anything like that. But the, uh, the more that we got to know each other, things, uh, we really began to hit it off. Uh, to this day, she's the funniest person I've ever met in my entire life. And we just became really good friends and coworkers and uh, spent a lot of time together uh, folding khakis along the back wall and folding T-shirts and uh, stacking them all up and things like that we we just had a blast really really good friends then we began uh being interested in one another and we started uh dating and she would come over to my house and clean my apartment and that was awesome because uh, my apartment was a pigsty it was filthy uh typical bachelor pad and she even remarked the first time she came over to my apartment she looked at it and she goes I feel so sorry for whoever marries you those were her words and so and I, I said well you know she'll be getting more than she bargained for is all I could say right 
And that is a true statement. And my wife probably still feels sorry for the lady that, that married me. But anyways, uh, we, we began to, to get to know each other. She would come over and she would uh, iron all my uniforms for the week. And uh, that was awesome. Sometimes she'd just show up unannounced with a plate of cookies uh, that were still warm on the bottom. I'm just talking, uh, it, it was awesome stuff. We'd go out to dinner. We'd talk for hours at a time. We just had a blast. I remember one time, we were walking along the, the uh, at Pensacola Beach. We're out there. If you've ever gone to Pensacola Beach before where the big beach ball water tower is out there, we were walking along the beach out there and everything. And I stopped. We had been uh, dating for a few months there. I stopped and I looked at her and I said, Angela, I love you. And she looked at me and she said, I love you too. And I was just like, wow, first time I'd ever said that to her. And she responded in kind. It was amazing. That was the day that fireworks went off and birds began singing and the heavens parted. And, and then that was, that was the day, okay, not the first day we met. But at that moment, I didn't really truly understand what love looked like. I just knew that I had these ooey-gooey feelings that I had inside of me that drew me to her. The best parts of me loved the best parts of her. I loved somebody coming over and, and doing my laundry for me. I loved somebody coming over and washing my dishes, although I only had probably a couple of plastic cups at the time that were my dishes, but she washed them. Uh, I loved someone coming over and bringing cookies. I loved someone to, to talk and to laugh with and things like that. I loved her loveliness. I didn't really love her on a deep level yet. We would get there one day, but at that moment, I just expressed to her, I love your loveliness. I love all the good things about you and the way that they make me feel. And it's important that we understand today that that is not biblical lasting love. When, we, when uh, God commands us in verse number one here to walk in love, he's not talking about walking these ooey-gooey emotional feelings that you have towards other people. He's not asking us to feel uh, emotion towards another person. You cannot command someone to feel something, but you can command someone to do something. So as we look at this passage of scripture and we realize that we're to walk in love, that's a commandment that we've been given here. It's not walk in your emotions. It's not to make yourself feel a certain way. It's talking about actions. Biblical love, true love is not an emotion, it's an action. It's not something that I feel. Love is something that I do. And so when we're commanded to walk in love, we're looking at our actions, not the way we feel. Oftentimes in marriage, uh, I'll, I'll have a marital counseling. I'll be talking with folks and they say, I just don't, I just don't love her anymore. And she said, oh, I don't, don't love him anymore. The feelings, the spark, the flame that we had, it's gone and we don't know how to get it back. Love is not a spark, it's not a flame. It is a choice that we make to put another person above ourselves. And that is a commandment. This is not an option for Christians. If you take a look at verse number one, again, that we look at this morning, be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has loved us. So Jesus is our example. This is the commandment that we're supposed to do. Now, verse number one, we need to get something really important out of the way. First of all, it says, be therefore followers of God as dear children. You see, first of all, Jesus made a way for us to be God's children. You see, we can't follow God as his children the way that we're born. Because the Bible says that we are born in sin. Uh, the Bible says that we are born at odds with God. Uh, the Bible says that we are born enemies of God. Romans chapter five, verse number 10 says that we were once enemies of God. When you were born, when you were brought into this world, you were born at odds with God. You were born a sinner. 
Our daughter Cholula turned one year old last uh, month and she is just absolutely, actually beginning of this month, absolutely adorable, that girl. She started walking and getting around on her own and stuff like that. She's amazing, but did you know what? My wife and I gave birth, or my wife gave birth, I just kind of helped watch and stuff like that, uh, to a sinner. We brought a sinner into the world. You know what? She lies. She cries for no reason. She's very, very rude as far as respect of my time and what I need to get accomplished. Here's the thing she does. She started this. This is just new like within the last couple of weeks. She cries for attention. She doesn't need anything. She's not hungry. You try to give her a, a, a bottle. She'll knock it away. You try to give her food. She'll throw it. Again, uh, indicative of her sinful nature. Uh, you, you try to, to, to hold her. She doesn't want to be held. She wants you to look at her eyeball to eyeball. And as long as you're looking at her, she'll sit there and smile and she'll giggle. You turn away, she starts crying. It's like, what is wrong with you, child? She is a sinner because she's selfish. And here's the thing. It's funny to talk about little kids that do that, but you and I do the same thing. We act out when we don't get the attention that we want. Uh, we uh, get all bent out of shape when really nothing's really wrong with us at all. We just need a little bit of attention sometimes. Why? Because we're selfish. Why? Because we're born in sin. I've sinned against God. You've sinned against God. We've all broken God's rules, not just like once or twice, but it's who we are. We continually sin against God. The Bible says that there is none righteous. No, not one for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I've sinned against God and you have as well. And that makes us not on God's team, but that makes us at odds with God. We are the enemies of God, the Bible tells us. And we can't fix that on our own. The Bible says that because of our sin, we will die one day for the wages of sin is death. So you and I will die one day because of our sin. And when we die, the Bible says that there's a second death, which is the punishment for our sins. Revelation chapter 20 talks about that. It says, the Bible says that there was a great white throne and him that sat upon it from whose faith the hev face the heaven and earth fled away. And he opened a book and he opened another book, which is the book of life. And those whose names were not found written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. This is the second death. So there's coming a day when everyone will stand before God and whoever's name is not in that book of life will go to hell, be separated from God forever. And let me just tell you this, your name is not in there by default. We sometimes think, well, if I do enough good stuff, will it get in there? No. What if I join the church? Will, will that get my name in there? No. What if I get baptized? Will that put my name in the book? No, it will not because you cannot do anything on your own to earn forgiveness for your sins. You gotta pay for them. And the only way that you can pay for your sins is to go to hell when you die. But here's the good news. God doesn't want that. God loves you too much to allow you to die and be separated with, from him forever. Romans chapter five, verse number eight says, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That Jesus came and he died in your place. You were supposed to die, but Jesus died instead to forgive you of your sins. Now you have to make a choice of what you'll do with that. You can accept the forgiveness that Jesus gives and allow him to pay the price of sin for you. You can ask for forgiveness of all the wrong that you've done in your life or you can pay for it on your own. The way you pay for it on your own is to be separated from God forever in hell. You don't want that and I don't either. But the way that you can have Jesus pay for you is today. Put your faith and trust in Christ as your savior it's as simple as praying a prayer like, God, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I know that I can't make it to heaven without him, and I'm asking for forgiveness today. The Bible says that you must be born again. 
Jesus said in John chapter three, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. You need to know for sure that you're saved. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I was a nine-year-old boy when I put my faith and trust in Jesus as my savior. I didn't fully understand all of the Bible. I just knew that I had sinned against God and I needed Jesus to save me. I put my faith as a nine-year-old boy in Jesus to save me and he did. But it didn't end there. The Bible says that not only am I saved from the penalty of my sin, I was once an enemy of God, but now I am a child of God. You see, Romans chapter five uh, says that for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You see, we're adopted into God's family by faith in Jesus. I was once an enemy of God. Now I'm adopted into his family. I wasn't born automatically into his family. The Bible says that we were born the children of the devil. We were born the children of disobedience. We were born the children of wrath. But God has adopted me as his son. How did that happen? John chapter one tells us, uh, verse number 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood. We weren't born into his family by blood, nor by the will of the flesh or anything that we could do, nor by the will of man, but of God. You see, you can't save yourself. I can't save you. This church can't save you. It's Jesus and Jesus alone that can save you and can make you a child of God. The Bible says that once we're adopted into the family of God, that we are safe and secure in the family of God. Did you know that God doesn't kick kids out of his family for bad behavior? That once you're adopted into the family of God, you're secure, you'll always be part of his family. What if I don't ever go back to church again? You're still part of the family. Well, what if I disobey God? You're still part of the family. What if I sin against God? You're still part of the family because God has adopted you. You're now a child of his and nothing can take that away. And we're adopted into the family by faith in Jesus Christ and we see God's love through Jesus. You see, we're, we're supposed to love the way that God the Father loves. We're supposed to love the way that God the Son, Jesus Christ, loves. How do we see that most evidently? Through God's love for us by giving us Jesus. Again, Romans chapter five, verse number eight, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is a beautiful picture of God's love for me and for you. Again, if you take a look at Romans 5, 8, it's in your, in your uh, notes there. That Jesus died for sinners. And then while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Jesus didn't die for the religious people who have it all together. He didn't die for the people who have no problems. He didn't die for the people who don't need a savior. He died for sinners. He died for the people that didn't deserve it. He died for the people who needed it most. And that's me and that's you. And God showed his love and demonstrated it to you and I that way. Secondly, we see in this passage, we follow God by walking in love. <clears throat> Again, when we talk about walking in love, this is not a feeling, it's what we do. When we talk about walking in love, we're thinking about the way that we handle ourselves on a daily basis. From the time I wake up in the morning to the time my head hits the pillow throughout the day, the Bible says that I'm to walk in love. This is a type of uh, commandment that changes every relationship in our life. 
one lawyer had come to Jesus and asked him a question trying to, uh, sometimes Jesus, people would ask Jesus questions because they really wanted to know. Other times they try to trip him up and uh, trick him in, and uh, trap him in his words that he would say. One man came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, what's the most important commandment in the Bible? What's the most important commandment? Now, that would be similar to you and I maybe asking a police officer, uh, what's the most important law on the books? We're gonna ask a judge maybe, hey, judge, what's the most important law on the books? I don't think anybody would be able to say, well, it's, it's important that you keep the speed limit or uh, maybe uh, thou shalt not kill. That would be probably a pretty important law that we have. Jesus said this, most important law is love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, every fiber of your being. And the second is like unto it, that you love your neighbor the way that you love yourself. And he said this, here's a crazy thought. Jesus said, on this hangs all the law and the prophets. He said, if I were gonna sum up the entire Bible, I'd just give you two commandments, love God and love everybody else. Love was a big deal for Jesus. Jesus said that love would be a defining characteristic of his disciples. He says, if you call yourself a disciple of mine, people will know it by the way that you love each other. Love is not something that we get to, to do when we feel like it. Love is a way of life for the Christian. Let me ask you this question. Would people describe you as a loving person? If you have kids, would they describe your home as a loving home? If, if you have coworkers, would they describe you as a loving coworker? If not, we've got work that we need to do. And how do we do that? We do it the way that Jesus did. We see, first of all, that we follow the example of Jesus. If you read through the Gospels, if you've never read through the Gospels, I just encourage you to start in the book of Matthew tomorrow morning and just read through them. Man, it's so good. The first four books of the New Testament we call the Gospels. The word gospel means good news. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the stories of Jesus Christ, told from four different men from four different perspectives. You really understand how Jesus loved by seeing his interaction with other people. Again and again and again, we find the word compassion describing how Jesus carried himself. Matthew chapter nine, verse number 36 is in your notes. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. You see, I think if Jesus were to walk uh, our streets with us today, I think he'd probably go over to Alamoana uh, Food Court and he would be moved with compassion for people. I think as he's uh, walking around the parking garage, I think he'd be moved with compassion for people. I think as he walked our streets and saw people in need, he'd be moved in com with compassion for them. I think when he saw somebody who was down on their luck, he'd be moved with compassion. I think when he saw parents at a playground, he'd be moved with compassion. What does that mean for you and I? Well, here's the thing about it. Jesus doesn't walk the streets in bodily form anymore, but you know what? Jesus still has a body, and we call it the body of Christ. You know who that is? It's us. We get to take the place of Jesus Christ here on this earth, to be moved with compassion when we see people, for to change the way that we live, and we're to follow the example of what Jesus did. When he saw somebody in need, he tried to help. When he saw a situation uh, that got tense, he tried to apply some grace and kindness to it. Here's another thing that Jesus did. When things got really hot and heated and there wasn't a good way to handle the situation, you know what Jesus did? He removed himself from the situation. He didn't escalate it further. He didn't have a shouting match with anybody. He just knew when to walk away. And that was sometimes some of the most loving things that he could have done. Now, Jesus could have spoken a word and people would have fell over dead, but you know what sometimes Jesus did? He removed himself from the situation 
because of his love and compassion for people. It's an example for you and I to follow. You see, we love others as an act of worship. If we take a look at the verse number two here again, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. First of all, how did Christ love us? He loved us unconditionally. He loved us not because we were good, but he loved us despite our sinfulness. Jesus loves us just the way we are, and that's the way that we're to love other people. But notice he says here that he gave himself for us as an offering, a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor, that Jesus gave his life to God as an offering. He gave his life as an act of worship. Now, sometimes we misappropriate the word worship. Sometimes we use the word worship to talk about singing in church. Singing in church is not the only type of worship that there is. It's it's a kind of worship. It's maybe a type of worship, but that doesn't encompass the word worship. The word worship in the English language comes from the idea of worthship, to ascribe worth to, to say this right here is super duper important. That's what the word worship means, to give a worth or value to something. The word worship as used in the Bible literally means to lie face down in front of. Now, when we worship together in a corporate environment like we are this morning, we don't lay down on our face before God. If you wanted to do that, that would be incredibly appropriate, I guess, if you felt led to do that. But the idea is this, my heart is laid low before God. I recognize how great and how high he is, and I recognize how I am utterly worthless to him outside of anything that he does in my life. Worship says to God, God, you are great. I am so incredibly small. Worship says to God, God, you are higher than the heavens and anything that I could ever possibly imagine. Who am I? The psalmist says, who is man that thou art mindful of him? Who is Anthony King that you would stop for a minute and think about me? That's worship. Worship is taking the focus off of me and putting it where it belongs on a holy, awesome, righteous God, that's what worship looks like. And when we boil worship down to just singing songs and putting a hand in the air, you miss the point of worship. Worship doesn't take place on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Worship takes place 24 hours a day, seven days a week. My life is worship to God. That's what worship looks like. I know many folks in this room use your job as an act of worship. Your work is your worship. You, everybody at your workplace knows that you're a Christian. Everybody at your workplace knows that you're trying to live in accordance with God's word. Everybody's heard uh, about Jesus from you at some point or another, has gotten an invitation to church. They know how you live, and your work is your worship. Our home is our worship. When we sit with our kids and we talk about the Bible together, that's an act of worship because God's word is important to us. God is the central focus of our family. When we uh, sing praise music in the car on the way to work, that's an act of worship. Hey, I can listen to anything on the radio that I wanted to, but I choose to listen to music that draws my heart closer to the heart of God. That's an act of worship. Worship is every aspect of my life. Our family made a decision a long time ago that we don't watch R-rated movies because we don't want that garbage coming into our minds and our hearts. Why? Because God is worthy of that. That's an act of worship. Because God is so great, I won't defile myself with the base things of this world. That's an act of worship. Why? Because God's worthy of our worship. Jesus is worthy of our worship. And Jesus gave his life as an offering. Why? Because he says, I'm giving this to God because he is worthy. And Jesus' life was an offering. 
Let me tell you, that's the example that you and I have to follow. My life is an offering to God. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, if there's been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, the Bible talks in the book of 1 Corinthians about the judgment seat of Christ. Every Christian will stand before God one day. And the Bible says that your life's work will be placed on a fire before God. And the things that you did with your life that didn't really matter will be burned up in a moment. The Bible calls them wood, hay, and stubble. They'll be gone really quickly. But the things in your life you did that mattered, the Bible says are gold, silver, and precious stones. Those are the things that will remain of your life. You're gonna have to answer to God for the way that you lived your life one day. I'm gonna have to answer to God for the way that I lived my life one day. The Bible says there's coming a day of accounting where we'll be held accountable for what we did with our life. I want for me, I want for my family, I want for you to stand before God one day and say, I wasn't perfect, I made a lot of mistakes, but my life is an offering to you because you're worthy. My life, everything that I had belonged to you and I did my best as an act of worship. That's what it means to live like Jesus lived. My life is a gift to God. Now, I want to make sure that every single day that I live my life, I live my life in a way that is of use to God. I wanna be useful to Jesus. So that my life counts for something. So my life matters for something. Uh, Pastor Chris Chadwick preached on uh, Tuesday night about the unwasted life. I remember several years ago, I had um, uh, gotten out of the Navy. My wife and I had started a computer training and consulting company here in town. We were doing very, very well uh, financially, and, and God had blessed us in a multitude of different ways. But I remember I was probably uh, 26 years old or so, and I realized that the things that I was living for didn't really matter. I was living for money and status and success, what the world said was success, just wanted a bigger house and a nicer car and take a better vacation and have more uh, toys and more uh, junk and try to accumulate more and more. And when I realized there was very empty. And this idea of standing before God one day absolutely arrested my heart. And I realized I would have to stand before God one day and say that I wasted my life chasing things, stuff, money, and status. And man, I'm telling you, everything in my life changed from that day forward because I did not want to stand before God one day and say that I'd wasted my life. I don't want you to stand before God one day and say that you wasted your life. Let your life be an offering to God the same way that Jesus did. The Bible says that he poured out his life as a sweet-smelling savor before God. Oftentimes in, in, uh, in biblical times in the Old Testament, they would light incense and the idea was that the aroma of the incense would fill the area so that everyone would know that an offering and a sacrifice was being made to God. And the idea is this, that our life would put off a smell, if you will, that would let everybody know that an offering's being made to God. That an act of worship is taking place in the way that I live my life that points people to Jesus you see, Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse number 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Placing other people before yourself, that's an act of worship. 
Esteeming others higher than you esteem yourself, that's an act of worship. It's saying, I'm gonna do what Jesus said because I believe that he's worthy. I believe that's where the good stuff in life is found. Next, we live in a sacri- we love in a sacrificial manner. Jesus' love that he gave was a sacrificial love. He didn't hold anything back. Jesus gave his own life because of his love for you and I. He didn't hold anything back. God's asking us to love with a sacrificial love, to put other people above ourselves, to put the comfort of other people above ourselves, to put the needs of other people above our own needs. That's a sacrificial love. That's what Jesus did. Do you love like that? Or do we love people for what they can get for us? Do we love other people for what they can do for us? That's not love at all. You say, well, 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 pastor, there's some people that just don't like me and I find it hard to love them. I find it a little bit easier to love people that are are nice to me. (laughs) Jesus talked with his folks about that too. You know what he said? You love those that love you? Way to go, the unsafe people do that. I'm asking you to love your enemies. I'm asking you to pray for those that use you. I'm asking you to love those people that hate your guts. That's where real love begins. Loving people that love you or do good to you, that's easy, anybody can do that. But to love people who others would deem unlovable, it takes the love of God through us to make that happen. We can't do it on our own. Next, we see that we love by allowing Jesus to live through us. You see, you can't love with a sacrificial love by just what you have. Every person will come to the end of their own resources of what they can do, the type of love that they can show to someone. I need a greater love working through me. Turn your in your Bibles a couple of pages back to Galatians chapter two. I want you to see this verse uh, in the Bible. It might be in your notes, but I want you to see Galatians chapter two, verse number 20. You got your Bible handy, I would circle, star, underline this. If you're using an app on your phone, I would select it in the app that you're using and highlight it. Galatians 2.20 is a powerful, powerful verse. Galatians 2.20, for I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless, I live. Paul says, I'm dead with Jesus, but I'm still alive. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. I've got those four words underlined in my Bible. Christ liveth in me. You see, I can't live this life on my own. I need Christ living in me. If anything good's gonna come out of my life, it's gonna be because Jesus is at work in me. The apostle Paul himself says, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. There's nothing good in this body that I have to offer. The only thing good that could ever come from my life is Christ living in me. That's the only good place that anything can be found in my life. Sometimes people say, oh, pastor, that was a great message. And I say the same thing, man, thank the Lord. It was, it's a good book, you know, the Bible's good, you know. Oh, hey, thanks for what you did the other day. Hey, thank the Lord, he's the one that did it. I can't take credit for anything good that happens in my life. Oh, you've got some great kids. Man, praise God, he's good to me, despite myself. Oh, your wife's an amazing woman. Praise God, I'm married way, way over my head. And God is so good to me and gracious. I can't take credit for anything at all. Last week, we had a celebration of what God's done here at this church over the last five years. I can't take any credit for it. I just showed up and God did the rest of it. 
I need something in me that's greater than me to allow me to carry out what God's commanded me to carry out. If I gotta walk in love, I've gotta have something in me that's gonna help me to walk in love, and that is Christ in me. But it's not done here. Take a look at uh, it says, what it says in verse number 20. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, here's the idea. Jesus loved me. He died for me. Now I get to not die for him, but to live for him. And now I get to take the love that I've been given and show it to others. Now I get to pay it forward because Christ is in me. I don't have to do it on my own. I have a power in me that's greater than myself. And this power that we need comes from the Holy Spirit. Final thought this morning, we're filled with God's love. Turn a few pages over in your Bible to Galatians chapter five, probably just the next page over. <laughs> Galatians chapter five, verses 22 and 23. You should circle, start, underline verses 22 and 23. These are verses that you just, you need to commit them to memory too. This is the fruit of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is at work in you, here's the things that come out. When, when God's doing something in your life, here's what comes out. When you're walking with Jesus and you're full up to the top and Christ is living in you, here's the things that come out. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is, what's the very first one here? Love. Very first fruit of the Spirit. It's listed. Now, some people have debated whether or not these are listed in order of importance. I don't know that it really matters, but I know that God does everything for a reason, and the first one that he lists is love. That's important. It's a fruit of the Spirit. You know what that means? It means you and I can't work it up on our own. It's not something I can just, uh, oh, I'm gonna be loving today. Oh, I'm gonna be loving today. And, get, and like look in the mirror and like slap yourself in the face. I'm gonna be loving today. You know, It doesn't work that way. You can't pump yourself up to do it. It's produced by the Holy Spirit inside of you. As I feed the Spirit of God in my life by spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, fellowshipping with other Christians, listening to good Christian music, turning off the things of the world, distancing myself from sinful habits, the more that I feed my Spirit, my Spirit will grow. As my Spirit grows, what comes out? Verse 22, love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. These are the things that come out of my life. These are the things that I need. These are the things that you need. And it only comes by one way, the Holy Spirit. You can't do joy on your own. It just doesn't work. We can do happiness on our own. We can have a good meal. That'll make me happy for about two hours and I'm looking in the fridge again, right? I can buy something new and do a little bit of retail therapy and I'll be happy until I wake up in the morning and, and that thing that I bought doesn't bring me as much happiness as I thought that it did. I can maybe try to look for a new relationship and think, oh, this is gonna bring so much happiness in my life, but it doesn't last. You're looking for joy. You're desiring joy. You're desiring love. You're desiring peace. And these things don't come by the circumstances that you're in they come from the Holy Spirit inside of you. 
If you're a child of God, if there's been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, inside you, the Holy Spirit lives. The Holy Spirit of God. You don't have to take a class to get it. You don't need anybody to pray over you to get it. Nobody's gonna smack you on the forehead or wave you with a holy towel to get the Holy Spirit. You accept Christ as Savior. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. Your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says. And Romans goes on to tell us, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, it's because you don't belong to Jesus. If you're not saved, you don't have the Holy Spirit today. And let me just tell you this, the things that you're looking for in life, you're gonna continue looking and you'll never find them because they're found in Jesus. So this need that I have to walk in love, it doesn't happen on our own. It's produced by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter five, verse number five is in your notes. And hope maketh not ashamed. The phrase make it not a shame means it won't disappoint you. The hope that God gives you, you'll never be disappointed in it because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. The love that you need to love other people doesn't come from yourself. I'm not gonna give you five ways to be more loving this week because it won't last. I can say, take cookies to your neighbor, write notes to your wife, uh, be, be kind uh, to your coworkers. I can do all those things, but that's not bringing the love that you need. It starts on the inside and then it makes a change on the outside. Many times Christians get stuck in the trap of I wanna fix all my behavior on the outside. I'm gonna be nice to people. That doesn't take care of what's on the inside. I'm not gonna be negative uh, with, with my, my coworkers. That just fixes what's happening on the outside. You see, oftentimes in counseling, I'll be talking with folks about fruit problems and root problems. Fruit problems are, we don't get along. We fight like cats and dogs. That, that's, that's a fruit problem. We need to get down to the root. What is the root issue? A lot of times, security, distrust, a lot of hurt that hasn't been fixed in the past. And the arguments, that's just, that's just a, a symptom of a much deeper problem. You see, you and I can't fix our behavior. We have to fix what's taking place on the inside. Our behavior is the fruit. The root is our heart. Why am I an unloving person? That's not a behavior issue. That's a heart issue. I'm an unloving person because I'm selfish, because I love myself too much, because I don't love God the way that I should, because I don't love other people the way that I should. Why? Because I just care about me. That's my problem. When I fix that, the fruit will take care of itself. That's why we have to look inside and allow the Holy Spirit to do his work that only he can do. And that's produced by the Holy Spirit. You wanna foster love in your life? I wanna challenge you with this. Megadose on the Bible. The word of God will bear witness with the spirit of God inside of you and will produce the fruit of the spirit. It's the only way it's gonna come about. Be in God's word every single day. Surround yourself with other Christians that are going the same direction that you are. I wanna be around good Christian friends that encourage my faith, not tear it down. I wanna be around Christians who help me to be a better man, not encourage me to be lesser of a man. Fill your heart and your mind with things that cause you to think on Christ, whether it's uh, putting a Bible versus a lock screen on your phone or maybe the music that you listen to on the way to work or maybe listen to preaching podcasts instead of politics podcasts. Maybe instead of spending a couple hours watching TV, maybe I'm just gonna spend a half an hour in prayer and another half an hour reading the Bible. Guarantee you that would help you out some. But I'm gonna feed the spirit inside of me. I'm gonna starve out my flesh so that the fruit of the spirit will have its work. 
And that's the stuff that we desire. We desire joy and peace and love. Final thought this morning. We can love because we're loved. (laughs) Every single person is loved by God. Period, end of story. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what you uh, have done in your life, doesn't matter what your sin is that you struggle with, doesn't matter your failures or your past, God loves you dearly. And because you are loved, you can love other people now. Because God can love you despite your sinfulness, despite your failings. You can love other people despite their sinfulness and failings as well. Because God loves you, you can love other people. Here's one of the things that blows me away. Sometimes during handshaking time, we'll ask the question, why is God so great? We'll talk about why God's so great. One of the things that continues to blow my mind every single day about God is that God knows me. And he knows every thought that I have. He knows the depths of my heart. He knows things that I don't even know about myself. He knows my failures. He knows my shortcomings. But he chooses to love me anyways. God's unconditional love. God doesn't love me because there's something good about me. God doesn't love me because of of who I am. Told you earlier, told Angela that day on the beach that I loved her. I didn't love her the way that I love her now. I loved the things about her that she would do for me. But you know what? After two decades plus of spending every single day with this woman, I can truly say I know her, but I love her anyways. (laughs) She knows me, but she loves me anyways. She knows my failures. She knows my shortcomings. She knows my weaknesses. She knows my fears, and she chooses to love despite that. We have to love others unconditionally. And it's not something that we feel, it's something that we do. Walk in love. It's a way of life for us. It's part of our new DNA as a new creature in Christ. You say, Pastor, I just just don't, I'm not that loving. Ask God to change your heart because that's where it starts. Don't ask God to change your actions. We can do actions. We can be nice. We can take donuts to the break room tomorrow at work. Uh, We can, uh, you know, write a nice note to somebody or something like that. That's fine. And those things are good. But if we don't change our heart, we're just modifying behavior. And when we turn over a new leaf, The next time the wind blows, the leaf just gets turned over again. We're back to where we started. We need true change that starts on the inside that comes from the Holy Spirit. That's where the good stuff is found. That's where true lasting change comes from. This week, I wanna challenge you with this. Find out what it means for you to walk in love. Examine your relationships and ask yourself, am I a loving person? Do other people see the love of Jesus through me? And the most important thing in the world, if you're here today and there's never been a time where you've experienced the love of God by receiving forgiveness of sins, today is your day to be adopted into the family of God. He loves you, Jesus died for you, and he wants to use your life to show his love to other people.